0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. the poster said, See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out?
1: Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now.
2: What are you into?
0: Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theatres May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. <laughs> It's
2: the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Are you still smiling after Saturday? Because I sure am. But focus this weekend turns to Wolves at Molyneux. Can we build on that fantastic opening day for our first away game of the season? Loads to discuss today. A final word from Saturday's brilliant performance against Jurgen Klopp's men. Disappointing news that Mana Solomon has picked up an injury. It looks like Issa Diop's transfer is imminent. It might even have come out by the time that you listen to this podcast. Plus, in part two, we're going to be speaking to Sarah and Amelia from the newly formed Fulham Lilies, a group for female Fulham FC supporters. Uh, Going to be great to hear all about the fantastic work that they are doing. But before that, I'm joined by the regular Thursday club of the Athletic UK's Peter Rutzler.
3: Hello. Hi, Sammy. Hi,
2: Jack. How are you? Good, thank you. And Jack Collins, hello. Uh,
0: hello, listeners. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Peter. It's all very exciting to be back, isn't it? This is a good day. You've got a good lineup today, Sammy. I'm excited about hearing your interview. Uh, and also, yeah, this should be fun.
4: Yeah,
2: Um, it was really lovely to speak to Sarah and Amelia. Uh, That is coming up uh, very shortly, plus all the details from them, uh, how you can get involved with the Fulham Lilies, should you wish to. Um, Jack, let's discuss Saturday's game against Liverpool. Uh, We both met up in the Duke of Cornwall after the game. We were both very excited. Um, We were both uh, sharing a few pints. And what a wonderful feeling to watch Fulham FC play a game like that.
0: Yeah, phenomenal, wasn't it? I, I think that there were questions from from all of us and, and reasonable questions, I think, across the fan base about how it was going to go this weekend. But Fulham came out battling, and I think that's what we wanted, right? There was there was kind of this sense that we deserved at least a point, point. and yet, you know, once the second goal went in, and I think especially once it went to one all, and we were kind of under the cosh, it, it kind of was, oh god, what, what happens here? But obviously, we go up the other end. Mitravel wins a penalty. We score it, and, and suddenly it's like, okay, maybe it's back on. And I think that w- when you look at it like that and, and the kind of phases of the game, the way that it kind of ebbed and flowed, we were good value for at least a point, if not three, I think. Because much as there were kind of hairy moments, I think across the course of, of 90 minutes, it was just lovely to see this Fulham side battle and, and, and kind of go toe-to-toe. I think stylistically as well, go toe-to-toe with a side of Liverpool's calibre. I said it to you at the weekend, you know, Liverpool are probably the second best team in the world. But on yeah. Saturday, they were the second best team at the cottage. Uh, and and ultimately, I think when you when you look at it like that and for Fulham to go toe to toe and not, you know, duck in. Look, we got four points off Liverpool the last time we were in the Premier League. You know, let's not forget that. But that was through a very different stylistic nature, I think. You know, last time out, it was about tucking in, facing that wall. Also, it was a depleted Liverpool team. But, you know, still, you look at that and you go, OK, this is a, this is a very different side. It was the way that we fronted them up and played our own way and, and played our own style. And I think that was maybe the most enjoyable thing from the entire weekend.
2: Peter uh, your piece uh, in the athletic uh, was all about uh, Fulham's organization in midfield and you did say Peter before the Liverpool game we were previewing it how impressive Fulham looked in that friendly against Villarreal particularly without the ball and I remember you saying that I thought yeah Peter but it was a friendly like let's not let's not get carried away but right you were because everything that we saw in that Villarreal game was just multiplied by 10 by the Fulham team. We were just exceptional, particularly without the ball. Liverpool didn't have a moment's peace. And that's what your uh, article in The Athletic covers, really, is just how impressive we were at stopping the way
3: Liverpool play. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it makes it very good. So thanks, Sammy. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, they were were really, really good. Really defensively well organised. And it did mirror that. Villarreal game in that, you know, we, there was Bobby Decadova-Reed on the left, Nayskens-Cabano on the right. I mean, you could see the sort of thinking going into the game. And Fulham executed it really well. You know, the spacing between the, the back four and, and the midfield four was really good. Harrison Reed and Giappolini were excellent screening the back four. For me, it felt like Tim Ream and Tosin Adrobai were so well protected, both in terms of the guys in front of them, but also the fullbacks. Um, Kenny Teta and and Anthony Robinson just glued to Luis Diaz and Mohamed Salah um, who were really really quiet so overall you know it was really impressive and you you can't discount the fact that Liverpool were really off colour as well particularly with their long ball passing Um, partly enforced by Fulham but also you know not not a good day for them but yeah a a really exceptional performance and there were so many things to take from it that brought so much confidence the fact that Mitrovic just scored two on the opening day as well, considering all the noise, you know the sort of misplaced noise, I suppose, about what he has to prove and and, and you know what he what he can't do uh, as is perceived, but um, just that confidence lift that gives him confidence lift. It gives the team, particularly since you know the discussions about bolstering the squad, getting more bodies in. You know, it sort of says that ah, we can we can play, we can compete with the very best, um, and also playing in, in this style of football. You know, Fulham played with a high line against Liverpool. You know, there was a good amount of space behind Tim Ream and Tosin, and they were able to use that compact shape um, to stop Liverpool playing forward, to stop them really challenging Rodak. You know, Rodak had pretty little to do, especially in the first half. Second half, much busier. Made some good saves, and Darwin Nunes made a big impact, didn't he, from the bench? But um, overall, you know, I think Fulham will take so much heart from that performance and. Yeah, really encouraging, really, really encouraging that, it's, that that's how <laughs> the first game went, considering how, how uh, defeatist, I think, nearly everyone was and probably reasonably so.
2: Yeah, it's such a, a remarkable turnaround, I think, in, in optimism in the fan base. And uh, well, you know, people saying, oh, can we, can we delay the season until we sign more centre-backs? We just needed to get going, Jack. Um, do you think we should have won the game? Thinking back about it more now, I actually almost think, like, look, happy with a point, delighted with a point. But it was a missed opportunity almost in a way, Jack, wasn't it? Because actually, when you think back about the 90 minutes, we had so much more of it. I think the key moment where we could have won the game was obviously when when Niskins hit the post at, yeah. at 2-0. I think if that goes in, it, given the way Liverpool were playing and that Fulham seemed quite effective on the counter-attack as well, uh, I think that that could have been the game for us had that gone in.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, Liverpool fans will point to the fact that you know, there was a couple of moments Luis Diaz fired wide. I have no idea how we managed to do that. Um, there was a dull in one way. Couldn't, you know, Tim Ream clears it off the line. Jordan Henson hits the bo- uh, the bar in the final minute, although as much as I, I feel like Rodak had that covered. Um, I think when you look at all of those things, they will they'll, they'll say to you that they could have won the game as well. Um, and I suppose that probably makes the draw a, a relatively fair result. I, I agree with you. I think if that Niskan's chance goes in, I think if Niskan buries that, we'd probably win the game. Um, and, you know, I mean, although Liverpool have taken more points from losing positions than anyone else in the Premier League in the last three years. So that has to be, bear, you know, borne in mind as well. But I, th- I think it's really interesting how Darwin came in um, and, and, and changed the game. And, and actually, I think it's more kind of, this matters more towards us rather than, than a kind of Liverpool thing. I'm not gonna go and take it down, take it down that kind of path. Actually, what, what interested me about this was in the first half, I thought Polina screened off Firmino in so many different ways. Now, he was everywhere, so it wasn't just this, but Bobby Firmino dropped in so much that Polinha was basically cutting off his passing lines. It meant that there was nowhere for him to go in in those spaces. And actually, when they were looking for him to drop in and, and link play. Bolinia was cutting off those those kind of angles that meant they couldn't build those triangles in the final third in the way that they normally do. And what that meant was that not only were our, our fullbacks excellent wide, um, you know, Kenny Tete on Luis Diaz and, and Anthony Robinson on Mohamed Salah, it also meant that we could double up on them. Because as the two main goal threats, you know, you've got Tosin was able to drift over and, and, and deal with Luis Diaz and Ream was able to help Anthony Robinson with Salah in that you can force them down alleyways that so they weren't going. Soon as Darwin came on, he played far more as a traditional kind of nine and backed up against the two centre-backs. It's where both goals come from, right? One, getting across them and two, causing havoc in the box. And it meant him playing in that kind of more forward role as opposed to dropping into the, the, the defensive midfield space, if you will meant that Pellini couldn't really screen him as much because, you know, it would involve him basically becoming a third centre-back. And, and actually, that's where the problems arose from. And Peter mentioned it there. In the first half, especially, I thought the centre-backs were protected beautifully. Um, we were able to basically mean that that kind of middle triangle of Rodak, Reem and Tosin didn't all have all that much to do you know, for, for kind of most of this. what well, when that when that changes when Darwin comes on. Now Fulham adjusted to this quite nicely, I think, because Darwin faded out of the game as well, as as much as he'd kind of exploded into it. Um but it was interesting that as soon as a kind of traditional number nine, who was able to cause that kind of havoc in the box, was put on, we started to struggle, I think, in terms of where, where we were defensively. It meant that the overlaps on, on Anthony Robinson, suddenly Salah is getting free down that side because he's able to play those one-twos because he's not doubled up on. Um, and I think that was maybe the interesting thing about this with with, with how we kind of go forwards and, and what we look like, is that when, when there is a player who isn't necessarily a traditional number nine, in that in that space and we can protect the center backs they're really really good at being able to you know fold out fan out and deal with wide threats when it is someone who is just a big kind of hulking brute physical presence who's able to cause that chaos that's when things started to get a little bit icky for us so yeah i, I thought that was an interesting kind of dichotomy with, with how it all panned out
2: yeah quite a relief then that maybe raul jimenez uh, not fit for uh yes Saturday. very much so yeah Um, Peter, let's come on to some bad news that has uh, developed since the Liverpool game. Uh, You reported on it uh, last night. Mana Solomon uh, with an injury. Um, What uh, a blow this is. Uh, A knee injury um, that... Happen in a behind closed doors match, and um, we'll come on to that. Looks like he needs to get uh, further assessments. Um, the exact time frame for his absence um, to be determined, but I think we can be pretty sure that this is not one that he's going to be back for the Brentford game or something. This is uh, a lengthy spell on the sidelines, similar to to Harry Wilson. And uh, yeah, what a blow because I thought in the glimpses that we saw on Saturday looked very good, and he was the person that you know, set Mitrovic away for the penalty. I thought his touches were tidy, albeit he arrived at a point in the game where we were much more defensively minded. He didn't have as much maybe to do as he as he would normally, but yeah, what a, what a run of bad luck on the wings.
3: Yeah. Really disappointing news, isn't it? Um, Obviously um, we'll wait to see exactly how, how long he is out for. I know there's been some speculation about the length of time he could be out, but if it is similar to to harry wilson then that is that is a blow i mean essentially if you were to pick a a Fulham first choice 11 I think you'd probably put both harry wilson and, and mallow solomon in when when they're fit obviously for solomon, it's hugely disappointing um especially after the summer and you know the, the the delayed nature of the move and then finally the move comes through and he's able to play and he was always going to need to to build up minutes because you know he hadn't played competitive competitively in club football for six months or so. So um, as you say, he came on against Liverpool, um, looked bright, obviously, as you said, made that key pass to, to Mitrovic before the penalty, um, but now has clearly picked up a, a knock. and um, I w- I'm curious to see what this means for Fulham in terms of what they do in the market. Obviously, there's been talk about Justin Clive at Roma, um, but it feels like a more Pressing issue, Um, obviously Bobby De Kadova-Reed and Naiskins Cabano did really well on Saturday. And I was going to to mention them earlier because they had to cover quite a lot of ground trying to make the system work. You know, the fact that it was so compact, the fact that if Bobby De Kadova-Reed would press Trent Alexander-Arnold because the fullbacks were Fulham's pressing trigger, Cabano would then have to shift right over to cover the other midfielder just so that they were all screened. Um, They did really well. Um, so that I mean that's encouraging going forward but of course behind them there's not much if anything at all so there's Jay Stansfield and Sylvester Jasper they'll fancy their chances maybe getting some minutes you can play in those areas Pereira could play in those areas Um, but I can't really see Anthony Knockart and Ivan Cavallero being brought back into the fold you know maybe if push comes to shove and Fulham don't operate they might have to Um, but yeah for now surely 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 well they're, they're, they haven't been involved in pre-season, so no squad numbers either. So I'd be very, very surprised. Um, but, you know, clearly Fulham are light on the wings now. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a big blow.
2: What a... A mad fall from grace for someone like Ivan Cavalera, who two seasons ago was our starting striker. Um, and now, even in an injury crisis, uh, can't get a a squad number to fill in on the wings. For what it's worth, I don't think Ivan Cavalera would do that bad a job. But look, Marcus Silva obviously has his reasons and sees them every day in training. Um, Jack, I can't, I'm not a football fitness expert and yeah. I don't exactly know the whys and the whens, but. I don't understand why Mana Solomon, who has played limited football, is playing a behind-closed-doors friendly a day or two after um, playing in the Premier League against Liverpool. It just, it's something I don't, I, I'd like to know the reasons why. May, there, there surely are, but I would love to have an explanation as to why that happened.
0: Well, I would suggest that it's about building up his minutes. You know, Peter's just made that point, I think, that he hasn't played competitive football for, for a long time. Um, And he hasn't been able to, you know, play competitively. So obviously a couple of minutes off off the bench against Liverpool is great and it's great for fitness. Um, But maybe, you know, what they wanted was to give him the other 60 minutes in a slightly less competitive environment in order that he can build up that 90-minute fitness and be able to play with it. I I can completely understand that. It's about making sure that the squad, I'd imagine there's a lot of youngsters being used in these games, you know, to kind of make things happen. And and it's about getting minutes in the tank for players who maybe haven't had the luxury of a full pre season. Um and, and Manus Solomon appears to be one of those players, right? You know, I, I bet you that Andreas Pereira didn't play, for, for example, right? It is about making sure that the players who haven't necessarily had their had their full whack of preseason and are at the moment because of competitive football returning aren't going to be able to get those minutes in in, in fixtures because they're not ready for them yet are probably about and, and ready if they're called upon. So I would suggest that it makes sense from that kind of perspective. I don't think it's that rare. It, it happens at quite a lot of clubs. We've seen this happen. You know, you know, obviously Harry Wilson, and we'd have a great track record considering that Harry Wilson got injured in that behind-closed-doors Villa game. Um, and now it appears that Manasola's been injured in this behind-closed-doors Chelsea game. Um uh, it, it's all one of those but we're, we're looking at it and going okay uncomfortable but I can completely so, see why they're doing it it's about spreading those minutes making sure that when people are called upon they are match fit and I think we've just been a little bit unlucky to be honest with you
2: yeah it just I think from your initial thoughts is why well, stop playing them behind closed doors but look um We are not football managers or football coaches. Well, certainly I'm not, Uh, maybe for a reason. So I think um, I'm not going to try and oversimplify it and uh, say that there's an easy solution because clearly there's reasons why football clubs do certain things. Um, Let's come on to transfer news. And everyone is talking, Peter, about Issa Diop. Um, Obviously, this is a transfer that's been waiting in the wings for a while, but there seems to be some significant progress on Monday with an offer accepted by West Ham. I can't put my finger on the amount. Um, I've seen everything from about 10 million to 20 million um, from various respected journalists. Um, so I, I nicely saw that you sat in the middle at 15, which I feel like seems like a, a good place to be, Peter.
3: I mean, it wasn't a case of weighing up what everyone's gone for and just go, right, I'll just go in the middle. I can't be that far off. <laughs> um, from how I understand it, it's 15 million um, without any add-ons. Um and yeah, as you said, this is one that Fulham have been following for a while. It's clearly a key target for, for the club. Um, you know, it, Fulham had put some offers down before suggested offers and it, it felt like they weren't really getting anywhere. You know, uh, West Ham wanted further add-ons, was the last thing we reported. Um, not helped, of course, by the injury to Naif Aguirre. Aguirre, I think that's pronounced right. Maybe I put that wrong. Correct. Um, the uh, Moroccan central defender who they signed from Rennes, um, that posed further questions. But then, as we saw over the weekend, uh, according to David Moyes, Issa Diop did not make himself available for the game. Um, and I think once that happened, I think West Ham sort of realised that this is, he's got to move on and, and they may need to, to bring someone else in to, to solve their, their injury problems because they do have some issues at centre-half. So, um, clearly this is a move that Diop wanted, clearly it's a move that Fulham wanted clearly is a key target as well. Um, my understanding was he was having a medical yesterday at Motspur Park, so that should hopefully be announced soon, um, providing all the final details are ironed out and, and whatever else. Um, but yeah, this is, this is you know, we were talking about centre-halves, getting the centre-halves in early. Obviously, it would have been ideal to do it before the Liverpool game, but Fulham have clearly stuck to their main target and, and they have got him for a, for a fee that I think they wouldn't really want to go much higher than for, for Diop. Um, He's a good player. I think we talked about how in his first season or two, he was very, very impressive, attracted interest from United. And um, I think the last couple of seasons haven't been great. Obviously, he's fallen down the pecking order. And maybe he's another one that, you know, will need Marco Silva to reignite his career, really. Um, clearly, there's a, there's a talent there. Um, and uh, I think he could be a, a, a good option to have alongside Tosin and Really good competition now in those centre-half positions with, with Duffy also in there as well now. So um, I think a, a bit of relief to get the centre-half position looking a lot stronger. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, should, should be an interesting one to follow as well. It will be interesting to see how he adapts and how he fits into this system.
2: And then once Diop is here, Jack, four options at centre-back, including the the newly signed Shane Duffy. Do you think that's a good place for Fulham to be with four options? Or would you be more comfortable if there was also uh, a fifth knocking about?
0: yeah i'm I, I think there will be a fifth i'll be honest um but i think that four is a good place to be i'd also just like to put this point that i think shane duffy is incredibly handsome um and just to, yeah it seems like a really good addition so i'm i'm actually incredibly excited. so do i i don't understand no no, 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 no no i'm not having any of your slander i can't believe you picked the, the episode i wasn't on to start slandering <laughs> national hero shane duffy uh, so yeah i just like to put that on record <laughs> I think he's a wonderful footballer, wonderful bloke, a very handsome man. Um, thank you very much. Um, right. Um, CC Dan on.
2: Cook. Don't, yeah. don't,
0: don't shoot the message it, here. It swiftly on. um, <laughs> it's, it's one of those where, yeah, I think the four is a, is a good number to have. Um, and, and maybe, maybe we will, I think, look at one more um, just in the, in the mix of how it all pans out. Um, because I think we'll be looking at someone who can maybe do a little bit. There's, there's kind of rumors out of, out of Turkey. Um, that we're looking at a Danish centre back who can play both defence and defensive midfield, um, which is one to keep an eye on. I think um, it's an interesting one, but um, yeah, four is good. I think we will bring in a fifth um, just just in case of injuries and long termers. But um, I feel like we're in a good place here.
2: And yeah, Jack, uh, you mentioned the Justin Cliver. I don't know why this has been slightly off my radar, or um, well, I've been maybe thinking that this transfer feels like there's there's a long way to go from Roma, but um, yeah, what are your thoughts on 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 Justin, son of Patrick? I'm
0: right in saying, right? You are right in saying, yeah. Um, he's had a funny, he's had a funny kind of mix of, of things that have happened to him in his career. Obviously, came through in that Ajax side that got to the Europa League final, lost to Manchester United, and was kind of touted as a very hot prospect at that point. Um, he, he moved a couple of times. He he went to Roma, and it, it just didn't really. Really click for him um, over there. A really good chat with him a couple of years back, um, back when we were doing BL Football Ranks. Um, And he's a lovely boy. Really, really, really nice lad. Um, He went off to Leipzig on loan for a little while. He did okay there. Um, He went to Nice. Again, not brilliant, but didn't, you know, to set the world on fire, but spent a lot of time coming off the bench. Um, I think he's just looking for a a place to call home. I I like him as a player, you know. I I think he's a, a very, very, you know, Direct, tricky winger who, who's able to get into the box and make things happen. Now he's not the best crosser of the ball in the entire world, um, but he he is a he is a, like a smart footballer who I think. Silver will really like because he presses well presses hard and he's the kind of player that you look at and go okay yeah this this makes sense and and actually considering the injury options that we've got I had imagined this this transfer has taken a big step forward in recent times it does look that Fulham have agrees now some sort of of deal with Roma or are very close to agreeing a deal with Roma for this one um and I think it would be a, a smart addition um, to bring in, you know, someone whose career stalled a little bit. Again, you know, we talked about this a, little, a couple of weeks ago, players with points to prove, you know, players who things haven't gone necessarily their way a little bit in the last couple of years. And, you know, he's still only 23. If he can get himself going again under a manager who trusts him and who, who can kind of play to his skill set, uh, I think that we, he's got a good chance of, of, of making it here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the Clive move and I, and I hope it comes through.
2: All right, we'll leave it there for part one. In part two, we're going to speak to Amelia and Sarah from the Fulham Nillies. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, just Sammy here, and I'm joined by Sarah Keeg and Amelia Armstrong from the newly formed Fulham Lilies. Really excited to have you guys on. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, good. Thanks, Sammy.
2: Uh, Amelia, how are you?
1: Yeah, I'm good. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for jumping on. Sorry that it wasn't uh, a little bit sooner. Uh, You guys have been going uh, about six weeks now since you uh, launched uh, through the summer. And if you aren't aware of the Fulham lilies, quite simple, uh, a group of female supporters and allies uh, looking to arrange meetups, matches, uh, and just generally um, be a safe space for women and allies to enjoy The club, unless I'm completely mistaken um, with the mission. Um, Sarah, um, you've done now uh, a meetup before the Villarreal game. Um, You've got a burgeoning social media following where you're meeting uh, different people who who are willing to get involved. How did it uh, come about setting up uh, this group?
1: So um, Amelia is the Her Game 2 ambassador and I'm on the Fulham Supporters Trust board. And we knew that we wanted to do something specifically for women, along with um, a couple of other female members on the uh, Supporters Trust board as well. So in January of this year, we ran some focus groups with other female supporters, and we basically said, come along online and just tell us, you know, what you love about supporting Fulham and what's not so great about supporting Fulham. And uh, the, the two things that came up, unsurprisingly, were toilets. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a subject yeah. that women are always <laughs> talking about. Uh, and safety and and feeling safe that they could attend games on their own um so from that we met with a couple of other female supporters groups we met with the lady imps who are lincoln city's group and we met with the women of watford or wow and um they just sort of said what they've been doing and and what they've managed to achieve and we just took the plunge And um, we just sort of decided that this was something definitely that that we wanted to do at Fulham. And, And since we launched officially on the 1st of July, the support we've received has just been amazing, absolutely overwhelming, from... Females, but also male allies as well, which is really, really important to us.
2: Yeah, Amelia, um, you obviously were also announced as the Fulham Her Game Two ambassador last year. Uh, you did mm-hmm. a fantastic interview uh, or chat more uh, with with Tim Ream, which was on the uh, Fulham website. He's absolutely lovely, isn't he?
4: Yeah, oh, that was that was an amazing experience. Yeah, he was he's lovely, and it was really nice to have that that backing from first team players as well to say that they're. They're here to listen about issues that the club might have with sexism in football or just the whole wider, the wider scope of sexism in football. So it was a great chat with him. And yeah, he's probably one of the loveliest people I've ever spoken to. He's brilliant.
2: Yeah. And uh, not too bad of a footballer either, as we uh, saw on Saturday uh, against the likes of Liverpool. Uh, Amelia, you've been now a few months in that role as the Her Game 2 ambassador. And obviously you've been involved in Fulham Lilies. What kind of issues have you mainly been dealing with since you started each role? What are you looking to kind of achieve in, in, in the time that, that you're, you're doing this? Because... There's a lot of ways that I think the female fan experience can be improved. I think that's kind of without doubt, really, isn't it?
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the main things that I wanted when going into this role with Fulham is I wanted more more awareness around the club, around how to report instances of sexism that you might experience on match day or in the ground. Um, things like posters up, things like uh, anonymous numbers that you can text if you experience something that just go to the club and then the club can deal with that internally. Things where, you know, if you if you don't feel comfortable, something's happened and you don't feel comfortable going and grabbing a steward and you don't want to, you know, report it there and then you, you have somewhere where you can just text quickly and then, you know, you know that the club are going to deal with it. So things like that, I think were quite important to me. I think also just having having the awareness up for her game two, things like having players train in the shirt, having them warm up in the shirt, just to show people that we're not we, even though we're a we're a movement that has grown really, really quickly, we're we're here to stay and it's serious and just showing the more that we we show people her game two, the more people kind of think and maybe reconsider behaviors that they think are normal but actually can be quite damaging. Things like maybe Chance that can be quite sexist things that people might not think twice about but now are being made to think twice about due to the coverage of of her game too. things like that and also I think alongside with the lilies what we've been trying to do is get some more awareness for our women's side as well I mean we, we have a women's team but there's really not much advertisement going on about it there's really not much on social media about it so I think just showing people that we do have a women's side. They play on Sundays, and their home games are at Mopta Park, so it's not exactly that far for people. If you know they want to get involved, but what we found when speaking to people is a lot of people aren't even aware that we have a women's side. So just kind of raising that awareness for that that aspect as well.
2: Sarah, you were talking to me before we started about the meetup that you did at the Villarreal game. How important do you think these meetups are? One thing I've always been surprised when doing full emission some of the emails we get are that. There are a lot of people that that want a group, want something to identify with, and they would go to more matches if they had like minded people that they could go to matches with. So, what was your experience of doing that first meetup, and how, th- how important do you find, think they're going to be um, to the Fulham Lilies going forward?
1: We could not believe the response that we got to the meetup at the Villarreal game. For the, the Lilies, there are, there are 10 of us, so 10 co founders of the Lilies. Uh, raging in age from Mills, early 20s, right the way up to uh, Tamara, who's 79, and, and every age in between. And it was the first time that we as a group had met. So that was great for us that we all finally got to meet in person because everything had been done online. And we thought, If a couple of other people turn up as well, that would be great. We had a family turn up with their their two kids, uh, mum, dad. um, We had lots of young females. There was one in particular who loves football, doesn't have anybody to go with. She saw us on socials and bought herself a ticket and came along. And she was there for, you know, an hour or so. She was chatting away. She absolutely loved it. And then we all walked to the game together. And as it happened, she was sat just about three or four rows in front of me, pure coincidence. And she sort of came up at halftime and went, this is amazing. I'm just loving it. I'm having such a great time. And to to get that on our first meetup, was absolutely incredible because that's what we want. We want people who, you know, for whatever reason, feel that they can't attend football, whether it's because they've got nobody to go to or whether they think they're too old to go. Or, you know, we we had um, a a South Asian woman contact us as well and said that obviously she has certain barriers because none of her family sort of are into football. So it was all these different people who contacted us and said, because of you, we can now consider coming to a football match Amazing. because we know that we can come, we can meet you, and then I'm, I'm in a group, I'm in a, in a tribe. And so it, it just was absolutely fantastic for us. We were absolutely overwhelmed by the support that we got. And it's all been positive, and a lot of it has been from men saying about their daughters, you know, wanting to take their daughters, and it's great that they've got now a safe space that their daughters can, can come along. Um, so, yeah, and because of that success, we're looking to do that, uh, another meetup at the, before the Brentford game on the 20th of August. So, again, it will be at the Tea House at Bishop's Park, who, again, have been very supportive of us. Um, and we're going to be there from 1 o'clock till 2.30. Yeah, so 1 till 2.30 on the 20th of August. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Sounds, sounds brilliant. And if, uh, you know, you had that much success at a friendly game where the attendance was a lot lower, I imagine that um, it's only going to go up and up for, for the big Brentford match. So, um, oh, that sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, Amelia, what is your experience being a, a Fulham fan as a woman? I, I think a lot of people would maybe naively think that Fulham is a, 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 a very friendly, welcoming club where there are no problems and everyone can come to a game and not experience any kind of um, intimidation or any awkwardness or kind of bad feeling towards them. Is that true? Um, I, I would like to think that Fulham is a, a nicer club than than the majority to support. But um, I feel like, as you alluded to, uh, well, there's, there's there's a lot of improvement that, that can be made in, in all areas.
4: Yeah, yeah, I do agree. I mean, on on the whole, I've definitely had, you know, far more positive experiences at, at Fulham than negative. And I, I love the club so much from the fan base we have, from the people that work there. Everyone has been really, really receptive of her game too. I mean, you do unfortunately get a few people. I mean, I have experienced in, you know, in the past instances of sexism, just little from little things of just being, second question in a way about your opinion or um, the way in which you're perceiving the match in ways in which male fans aren't having to kind of second yeah kind of questioning yourself as being like well I think this player played good but if I go on on social media and say they played good and other people disagree it's gonna then come down to gender in a way in which it doesn't for male fans I think things like that I do think that is it's definitely my experiences have definitely got better I feel like when I was 15 16 I experienced quite a lot of sexism from Fulham fans online unfortunately but I do think now as the club's partnered with her game too and I think as the general landscape of football has changed and um, female fans are becoming more and more welcome every season I do think it's it's got it's got a lot better but unfortunately there are there are those instances that that have happened which is why I just want there to be a really safe kind of anonymous reporting system for fans in place just to ensure that it's getting, these instances are getting logged and reported and people can actually action them.
2: Yeah. And it's almost unrelated, but it is related. Like the the way that England won that final and and so many people saw it as well. And I, I think so many men will have watched a women's game for the first time in their lives at that point and realized Oh, actually, maybe I had my opinions all wrong here. Women can play football. And you saw Gabby Logan, Alex Scott, all the people, they can talk about football. And you're like, well, obviously, I mean, we've been saying it for years, but if it takes a watershed moment like that to, to change some opinions slowly but surely, and I don't think anyone's ever going to say that the battle is won or that um, everything needs to stop now, equality is here, it isn't, but... I really hope that that can be that, that watershed moment. Um, and Sarah, what else are the lilies um, looking to achieve? Obviously meetups, but also you've been trying to kind of build a, a, a social media um, presence as well, that hopefully will be able to kind of combine, maybe not um, just match going fans, but also non match going fans.
1: Yeah, definitely. We actually had our first uh, international supporter who contacted us asking to buy a Fulham lilies badge. Hey. So we've, uh, We've sent him a little uh, a little pack with a, a Fulham lilies badge in, and uh, yeah, we've we've been contacted by quite a few um, female supporters in the state saying, "How do we get involved? What can we do?" So, and as, as Amelia was saying, it's for a woman. It's so refreshing. We just sit around and talk football, and there isn't that pressure that you sometimes get when you talk to men about football. Uh, you know am I going to say the wrong thing? If I pronounce a player's name wrong, are they going to think, oh, she knows nothing about football? Whereas with the, with the women, we just talk freely about football and our love of the game. And what's quite nice as well is we're looking to partner up with other women supporters groups. So whilst we have the rivalry and the pitch, we're very much female Supporters. So, we want to make sure that, you know, we're doing work with um, her game to Brentford. And we've also been looking at doing something with the Arsenal uh, women's supporters group as well. So, going forward, we just want to um, capitalize on what we're doing at the moment but increase it and spread it out to to other areas. And uh, we've also got some very random things, such as we want a Joe Bryan feminist book club.
2: Sounds perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine he'd be up for that as well. I'm almost certain. You just got to put that ask in there. I imagine send him a tweet and he'll be uh, more than up for it. Um, Just quickly, let's chat football because that's what we, uh, and let's chat Fulham. Uh, Amelia, what did you think of the Liverpool game and how much more confident are you now um, for the season ahead after watching Saturday? I definitely feel like um, I've got much more of a smile on my face this week than I did this time last week.
4: Oh, definitely same. I think I, could, I couldn't believe my eyes, to be honest, when we were when we were one no up. I was I was absolutely shocked. I know everyone that I was everyone that's sitting around me. we were all just staring at each other like, is this happening? <laughs> I think even though I just I did I did feel like we won, to be honest, even though we didn't. Yeah. But just the performance we put out, I think going into that match, I kind of had the the mindset that I didn't really the result. I I kind of I almost. Was 100% sure we'd lose that one to be honest so I kind of went into the match just going I just want to see the players on the pitch and see them gel and see our new signings and see how they fit in with the squad Uh, to get a result like that you know and I think the main thing for me was um, Mitro scoring because I know he gets so much stick and it's so unfair about you know not being Premier League quality and I know that I get it a lot from people that aren't Fulham fans they say that to me all the time I'm sure a lot of a lot of Fulham fans get that from people that, yeah, to be honest, haven't actually watched him play football. Mm. So I think for me, the main bit was just to shut everyone up that's been going on about him not being able to score in the Premier League. Um, so yeah, oh, I'm so confident now.
2: And Sarah, obviously, about three weeks left of the transfer window. Uh, what's on your uh, what's on your wish list?
1: It's really difficult isn't it because before the season started we were like center backs we we need you know defense because Tim's not going to cut it but the performance that he gave on Sunday on Saturday it was absolutely immense it was one of the best games I mean for me last season I thought he was the most improved player mm. he absolutely was fantastic last season and I think this season everyone was like he's you know, he's going to be making up numbers. But I thought he was fantastic. But Marco's right. You know, we're not going to be able to go through a season with the small squad that we've got. And we've seen already Wilson and Solomon are out. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I sort of think, yeah, we need some defenders to, to come in just to, to boost the, the squad. And, I mean, yeah, after after Saturday's performance, I think if you'd have asked every Fulham supporter at 12-29... <laughs> What's the score? Everyone was saying around me, if we keep it to less than five nil, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be happy. But after that performance, yeah, I I just sort of think sky's the limit with us now.
2: Oh, it's so exciting. I'm really hoping that it's not a big crash back to earth. Um, (laughs) After we like, you know, give, give, give the uh, European runners up a game and then wolves come along and just get a nice, easy win. But fingers crossed that uh, we could put the same performance levels in as we did um sarah um probably just a good opportunity to share any of the details for how to get involved with fulham lilies either on twitter on instagram or uh yeah however uh, best to, to kind of get in contact if they've got any more questions
1: Yeah. So we're on Twitter, Fulham Lilies, Insta again, Fulham Lilies. And we've also got a private uh, group on Facebook as well, if you search for Fulham Lilies. And if you want to contact us, our email, nice and easy is fulhamlilies at gmail.com
2: amazing. Well, thank you both so much for coming on and for everything you're doing. I honestly think that, um, it's a really inspirational thing that you guys have decided to do. Um, and I think you're going to change uh, the lives of a lot of Fulham fans. Um, sounds like you've already kind of made that start with the Villarreal game. And yeah, I really hope that the, uh, the Brentford meetup goes well. Um, I'd love to come along, uh, myself, uh, meet you. And, uh, I yes, know that uh, there's a couple of Fulhamish regulars that are amongst, um, your co-founders in, in Haley and 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 Lydia as well. So um, really, really wish you guys um, all the best and definitely go along to the Brentford meetup at the Bishop's Park Tea House uh, before the Brentford game. Sarah, Amelia, thank you.
4: Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: part three of the Fulhamish podcast is Sammy back with Jack and Peter. Thank you so much to Sarah and Amelia from the Fulham lilies uh, and for all their work they are doing. Definitely get in touch with them. Uh, if you're up for joining that Brentford meetup. Uh, Just before we start uh, the questions in part three, um, there was a a tweet from uh, a guy called Harry Truss. He's a fan of the podcast. He's part of our Fulhamish community. And he put a message on Twitter out last night, which has been um, widely shared. um, And uh, he asked me if I could mention it on the podcast. And of course, I'd absolutely love to. Um, So Harry is a recovering drug addict, uh, follows Fulham home, Away. He wants to set up a sober Fulham group who meet up on match days um, and he wants to reach uh, sober Fulham fans uh, to see if there are a group of like minded people who would like to enjoy Fulham games without going to pubs and um, all the things that, that entails. And if that uh, is you and maybe you would like to uh, meet up. Uh, with fellow sober Fulham fans, then definitely uh, drop Harry a tweet at HarryTruss1. Uh, Harry spelled H A R R Y as normal, and then Trust, T R U S S 1 and uh, we really wish Harry all the best uh, in setting up that group. And I'm sure there are plenty uh, of like-minded Fulham fans uh, who would be up uh, for joining. There's already been quite a big response um, to his tweets. So um, yeah, all the best Harry and uh, all the best with your recovery and uh, hopefully catch you at a match soon. Uh, let's do some questions um, and some messages that we've got in just before we finish the podcast, uh, had this brilliant uh, email from Mary Dunlop. Uh, and she writes, Hello, Fulhamish. I wanted to write and say thank you. We live outside of Boston, Massachusetts, in the US, but we spent August 2021 to July 2022 in London for my job, and we lived in Fulham. My family and I had never seen a professional football game but we're looking forward to going to one during our time in London. We have two daughters aged six and eight who started doing the fantastic girl skills classes with the FFC foundation in the autumn. So we figured that we would try out a Fulham game. We loved it so much that we immediately bought season tickets for the second half of the season. My husband got me hooked on the Fulhamish podcast, which we've both been listening to ever since. My absolute favorite episode was the one where Jack convincingly argued that Swansea's best strategy would have been not to try and score any goals <laughs> and- (laughs) And the epic, (laughs) we dream of Reem, this will catch on. I was listening to this episode on the train and started crying because I was laughing too hard. What a season it was. We're now back in the U S and feeling homesick for Fulham. We watched the Liverpool game over breakfast, but felt sad to see other people in our seats at Craven cottage. It's been a real pleasure uh, to keep with all the Fulham news and relive the highlights while listening to the podcast. Thank you for the hot takes, the pessimistic views and the absolute joy of being able to share in Fulham's successes. Mary, what a lovely email. Thank you so much. Glad you enjoyed the podcast. And, um, hopefully you can uh, make it back for, uh, a game or two later in the season and, uh, hop back from the States and, uh, maybe you won't be able to get your seats exactly, but I'm sure you'll be able to get, um, Similar seats in the ground. But yeah, thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, Let's go on to a question here from Daryl in Milwaukee. He says, hello, Fulhamish. I have two questions. Does it appear that our best defence is going to require playing on the front foot at all times? And do you think Harvey and Fabio miss Fulham yet? Uh, Let's start with the first question about playing on the front foot, Peter. It was my big question after the Liverpool game was that... What Fulham did in that Liverpool game was so intense. It was, I wasn't even sure we were going to be able to keep it up for the 90 minutes, but we just about managed to. It's a really, really, um, you know, it requires such a high level of fitness to be able to keep that, that intense pressure for for 90 minutes. I remember we saw quite a few teams at the cottage last year try and do it against us and they were never able to fully manage it for. Ninety minutes. Not only we've we got to do that for ninety minutes. If that's our style of football, we've got to do it for thirty-eight games. That's going to be very, very difficult. If that's the style of football that we see every single week.
3: Yeah, I mean, it'll be really interesting to see. Obviously, we, we've talked about how the has all been. them aren't going to change too much about their style this year. They're going to play their way and uh, and approach each game like that. I think one thing that will be important for me will be mentality and mindset. Um, it seems kind of strange when we, you think, well, it's, you know, it's fitness, isn't it? It's, it's physical fitness being able to perform at that level consistently. But, you know, obviously there is the run of fixtures and there's injuries and making sure that people are still able to function at their best ability. But also what was so interesting about Saturday's game was that you really got the sense that Fulham had their bit between the teeth, like everyone did, even in the ground, that sense of, right, we're going to... It sort of fed off, fed off each other, the players, supporters, um, really determined to show Liverpool not to give them the respect that perhaps would have allowed them to take more control of the game. Um, And and the reason I say this is because I think when you get into the rhythm of the season, trying to maintain that focus will be really important. And I, I think Fulham will be able to do it because the club as a whole have a point to prove. We've talked about so many different players having points to prove. And I think having that belief that it can work Having seen it at Liverpool um, and then also just bid that first season back in the Premier League that determination to show everyone that actually Fulham are pretty good should give Fulham that that lift um, now the other thing of course is is, is game state um, which we sometimes talk about you know concede an early goal how do you respond to that We talked about last season that Fulham didn't always respond in the best way but will that be different this time around um, will they always need to chase games will they take will they take leading games and then have to hold on to leads, um, so that that will be that will play a part too. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised, especially in the setup that we saw Saturday, to see similar things against the big teams. Um, Fulham did that against Manchester City in the FA Cup last year. We talked about how Silver, when he was in charge at Estrela, all that long time ago, was would go to those big clubs in Portugal and try to play like, try to beat them by playing you know by playing them on their terms kind of thing. Um so I imagine we'll see similar. Um but as long as Fulham don't pick up too many injuries um and can keep that sort of belief um which seems kind of abstract but I think it is quite important. Then I don't see why they can't maintain those performance levels why they can't continue to to beat different teams. Of course, different teams have different tactical setups and they'll pose different questions and there will be times where teams will, you know, gain advantages and that will change things. It will change how games unfold. But, um, if you can have that same impetus to, and um, I will not want to say desire because players always do have it, but there is a real um, energy <laughs> behind, mm. behind Saturday's performance and I think if you can keep that, then I see no reason why Fulham can't maintain it throughout the season.
2: Moving on to a message here from Gary Wallace, uh, he says, hi chaps. Um, yesterday he wrote on Sunday was brilliant and the atmosphere was great. Don't want to come across as some old bloke moaning. I hope this doesn't cover though the Chelsea ticket pricing, which was released quietly and general pricing to the back of people's minds. He said, keep banging the drum on this too many lifelong fans and young fans, potential new fans now missing out on games. He said there were too many Liverpool fans, tourists in colors in the home areas yesterday which had Liverpool won comfortably as expected, had the potential to kick off. Don't want to dampen the feel good factor, but don't get me started on the half and half scarts and all the ticket touts. Much love. Keep up the good work. Um, Jack, they released the Chelsea ticket prices. They're the exact same as the Liverpool. Yeah. I have got to the point where I I don't know really what more can anyone can say on this. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's still as disgraceful what they've done for the Chelsea game as the Liverpool game Um, in my eyes. Um, I never expected that Liverpool was going to be a one off as though the club um, said that Um, the Fulham Supporters Trust um, are releasing the results from their survey, which they did about um, ticket prices. Um, Some pretty startling eye watering facts in there. 62% planning to attend fewer matches, uh, non-season ticket holders um, because of that. Um, 82% of people saying they were either dissatisfied or very dissatisfied uh, with those um, ticket prices. And um, if you look at the age ranges of people that were affected most, it was a lot more uh, young people than old people as expected. Um, coming on to Liverpool fans in the home end, it didn't seem too bad in the Hammersmith, but I no, have I heard that there was a lot in the Putney end. Um And that this does annoy me because I still feel like and Tom Great just made a good point on the tickets podcast that it's harder to police this than you would initially think and desperate Liverpool fans that want to go and see their team will go to extreme lengths in order to, you know, try and get in there, whether it's even buying a season ticket in order that they can go to that one game um, is not necessarily sometimes completely out of the question.
0: No, especially, um, if, especially if it's a Liverpool fan who lives in the area, right? Like, and, yeah. and I'm sure there are some, you know, people. Now, this is, you know, for better or for worse. And I imagine they're probably not listening to this. But I imagine there are certain people. And I imagine there are people listening to this who started off, you'd be like, oh, Fulham's close. I'll get a season ticket and I'll be able to watch the big games and slowly fell in love with the club. Right, that there are elements of this that that happen, and people who are like you know who will be Liverpool fans and will have gone to that game as kind of Liverpool fans, but for the rest of the year will support Fulham because they have a season ticket. These things aren't unheard of. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just just making the point, right? Yeah. Um, and and I know a lot of people, especially you know when we did have cheaper you know cheaper season tickets and cheaper tickets, who'd come along you know reg, you know semi regularly despite kind of supporting other other clubs, and and eventually some of those people know just are fulham fans now and and that's fine you know that that, that's how you grow a fan base and you grow a club and you know lots of people move move places and move cities and it's you know important we have a lot of people listening to this who have have kind of either fallen in love with fulham from afar or used to live in london and 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 now you know live somewhere else and, and support fulham um but might go to their local club as well you know it's I know it's a little bit different in terms of two clubs in the same division or even the same country, um, but you know I, I don't think that's you know unheard of, and and I think it's it's easy to see. I, and I judge. think it's
2: when when you when you have the. Um people in colors and I you know saw yeah, no, for both that. the Liverpool goals you quite see, clearly saw fans celebrating in the home end of the of the Putney stand now yes they'd obviously try to sit as close to the Liverpool fans as as far as I could tell as as possible but <clears throat> it's still I just don't see how there isn't more of a usage of like loyalty points for these home games that like you would sell out these home
0: games to Fulham fans. I don't understand why there is you if you put them a reasonable game. price point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'd, i agree. Right. This is, this is, this is all true. And I, I think there is also going to, there is going to be this year, a hangover, right. From the legacy of the neutral stand in, in, inverted commas right Mm. there's going to be that hangover where people are like you know and 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 i spoke to my aunt about this right and she's brentford and she was saying why why is there only this many tickets we normally have more than this and i was like you don't you just normally were able to buy them in the next bit along anyway um and and so i think that actually and, and i think it's a really interesting point that and dean and i were talking about this it felt like the Liverpool fans were quieter than they usually were. And and actually, weirdly, I remember a, a couple of years back, it was we were talking about it, Stephen Gerrard scored a penalty in the 90th minute. We were bottom of the league and we didn't win we didn't win that game, but we should have got a point out of it. Yeah. And it felt like the Liverpool fans were trying to suck the ball in, you know, from from that from that whole Putney end that was just a wash of red. Yeah. And it felt like they're and the ability to kind of take over that stand and the ability, you know, we've seen it with Leeds. We've seen it with Liverpool. We've seen it with United. We've seen it with most of the London clubs as well, um, who, who come in and go, right, if you're going to give us these seats, we'll take them. Absolutely. No problem at all. Um, and, and it makes that atmosphere at that end. Not only is it horrible to watch it, you know, go off when an opponent team scores. Sure. But it also means it's much louder than it needs to be. And I remember Leeds on a you know Tuesday night, midweek, having the entire part in the end. Um, and, I think the fact that it's no longer that is a good thing because it meant that that effect is minimized a little bit. Um, you know, I, I thought that Liverpool were less loud than they normally are at the cottage. Um, I felt like Fulham were louder. And part of that is the acoustics returning with the, obviously having, you know, sound on all four sides. Um, but part of it is not just giving up an entire stand to away fans. And so I think there is going to be a legacy of hangover of that, but it will minimise. And actually, I think it was important that that was minimised over the course of, of the game. And and actually it was, that was, that was a good thing.
2: My thing with the ticket prices and Chelsea is that I was very impressed with those prices, for instance, against Brighton. And for me, that has always felt a bit more important than the pricing of those um, massive games. Look, no one's saying that I'm happy with, £65, £70 for those big games. But if we can get those prices for me in the games that are coming up in September, October, um, I think we've got Newcastle, Bournemouth coming to uh, the cottage in October. I'd be interested to see what those prices are because we're still kind of learning this as we go clearly that A plus category is going to be horrible. Um, And when I think we've made our point and protested about that, but Brighton was good. I want to see more Brighton prices. That would be the lovely thing for me. And, We're going to just adapt this. We're certainly not going to batten down about it. There is an element of, you know, feel good factor at the moment and not wanting to bring down the mood by talking about things like um, ticket prices, but certainly Gary we will try and do our best um, not to just shut up about it just because well, Fulham have had one good game. (laughs) Let's uh, let's see how things go and uh, let's move, look ahead to the future and let's see if we can keep that feel good factor going three o'clock kickoff against Wolves on Saturday at Molyneux. Um, Peter Wolves Wolves had a difficult opening day, took the lead um, at Ellen Road, ended up losing um, 2-1. Wolves are a funny one at the moment. I can't quite put my finger on what they're, Trying to do under Bruno Lage, um, they had really good periods last season. They still got a, a a reasonable finish, but ended the season quite badly. That's a bit of a blow to to lose the way they did to Leeds on the opening day. Um, Raúl Jiménez still injured. Connor Cody now gone to Everton. Um, difficult one to predict this because I just don't know what Wolves. Are doing, But obviously, a trip to Molyneux, their first home game of the season, they'll be desperate to make amends for what happened at Elland Road. Um, This is going to be another really, really difficult game for Fulham. And I'm certainly not going in there thinking, oh, we played brilliantly against Liverpool, so this is three points.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right about Wolves being in in a strange place. And actually, the more you think about it, I actually think this is quite an important game because Wolves seem like they have the potential to struggle a little bit more than I thought that they would. Um, mm. Maybe that's a bit presumptive. I know we're early in the season, but as you said, you know, back in the last season was not good. Like it was, they were pretty poor after a very, very good start. Um, I know Bruno Large moved to a back four. If I remember rightly, Jack, yeah. is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's why they've sold Connor Cody. Yes, um, which also feels really strange. And I know Connor Cody is very good in a back three, but he is Mr. Wolves, isn't he? Like he is Wolves. Um, so, I don't know. I, you know Bruno Lars was very touchy on the touchline, wasn't he? Uh, had that tête-à-tête with um, Jesse. It was Marsh.
0: really weird. Like, really it was uncomfortable. First half, he said, yeah, it was." He yeah. was like, "There are things that shouldn't be said on the on the on the touchline." I was like, "All right, mate, get out." <laughs> yeah,
3: interesting. Um, so, yeah, the more you think about it, the more you think actually, for Fulham, this is quite quite an important game and potentially an opportunity. You know, the squad isn't the doesn't have the best depth. Obviously, they don't have Jimenez. Um, They still have their threats in wide areas. You know, Podence and Neto. Neto looked really sharp in pre-season. So, of course, it's it's going to be a difficult challenge. But uh, there's certainly an opportunity for Fulham there if they can get in early and and make it difficult. Um, And, uh, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it because, yeah, it's going to be a good one. Another hot one as well by the looks of it as well. Yeah, it's going to be a a warm difficult
2: journey uh to the Midlands without um any trains, yeah. Uh, yeah. regular train services. Um if you didn't catch Dom's podcast the other week, there are ways of getting there. Um involves a, a long train to Moore Street and then I think you can get from New Street to Wolves, or you can go via Reading on the trains. Um, I'm just jumping in a car because I can't be bothered. Uh, but it, yeah, it's going to be a, a long, sweaty journey up to, to the Midlands. Jack, what's your take on Wolves? Um, they've made some um, sensible signings. I think Nathan Collins from Burnley is, is an under-the-radar good signing because I always thought he was one of those that never quite got the, the credit he deserved. But it just also doesn't...
0: <laughs> young man, young Shane Duffy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Looks or ability, both. <laughs> oh,
0: okay, um, uh, he, yeah, David Collins is an excellent, man. Um, really, really good. It, he's a very, very good player. Um, he, he's kind of. Um, you know, struggling a little bit in terms of, of where it is, but it, it, and what, what he does, because I think last season he didn't quite you know get that breakout. Um, but obviously made from Stoke, went to Burnley at had had that moment. Um, and is now at Wolves. I think he'll thrive. He's a lovely ball playing centre back, he's done really well for the Republic. Um, and and yeah, he, he I think he's got, he's a good reason as to why. Wolves have switched to a back forward, to be perfectly honest with you, because I think that that kind of suits his style, suits his game. Um, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out for him this season. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's a weird summer. Obviously, we're still lacking a striker, really. Got Huang, but I mean, played more as a wide forward, um, you know, during his time at Red Bull um, and, and I think maybe has... Struggled a little bit in that role. They definitely need backup. They've sent um Fabio Silva Silver off to Andelect on loan. Um and, and Raul Jimenez seems to be struggling for fitness. So I think this is all, you know, positive for for Fulham in in, in many ways. Um that said, it's still a very good side. Um I think I think Brunelage is a good manager, um, even if he is a bit tetchy. And I think that Wolves will probably be okay this season across the course of it. But um, I agree with Peter in that if you can get them into a bad run and you can get them into a funk early doors, um, they are the kind of people that won't hang around in terms of trying to fix things. So um, it's possible that you can you can force wolves into moves if you if you make them struggle to begin with and hopefully Fulham can can do that at the weekend. Um, I, I think it'll probably be a four three3 from them, which means that we can probably employ the same tactics and there's a kind of miniature narrative backstory in the fact that they were the ones who originally were trying to sign Drapoenia, obviously. Um, so if he has an absolute stormer, Against them, I imagine that will really wind them up. Um, so yeah, let's, let's hope for that. This has the
2: vibe of Jaded Lover, but uh, Connor Cody actually talking to TalkSport this morning about his Wolf exit. He said, pre-season has been tough. The last five, six weeks have been really tough, to be honest. I got a vibe. Something's coming here. Something's not right. I could sense things. Something was happening. It didn't feel the same. Um, I mean, it sounds the start of some sort of um, detective thriller novel, uh, Peter, those um, sentences, but... Yeah, maybe kind of backing up what we said. Maybe not a bad time to be playing
3: Wolves. Mm, yeah, I mean, those comments don't exactly fill you with confidence if you're a, a Wolves supporter. Um, but then again, Conor Cody is looking to play, isn't he, before the World Cup? So. Um, to get those minutes in. So, you know, maybe. yeah, maybe. I think there's only so much you can read into it. Yeah. Also,
2: you only have to read Marco Silva's comments 10 days ago and yeah. you think, oh, it's a good time to be playing Fulham. I think you can read into, into anything. It's not exactly like that Fulham are devoid of problems ourselves. Just one good game. And does not paper over all of the cracks um, here. And, and Jack, as you said, you know, you have, look at that lineup that, that, played against Leeds. You've got Jose Sarr Gold, Johnny, Nathan Collins, Kilman and Nate Nori at the back. And then you've got that midfield, then Neves um, presents Morgan Gibbs, White. we saw him tear us a new one for Sheffield United um, at the end of, of last season, Pedro Neto. And and then Huang, as we mentioned, that is a, a very good premier league team um, who have got plenty of experience. So I'm, I'm certainly not just expecting that Fulham are going to go to wolves and, and naturally get a result, but, but fingers crossed that, uh, we can, uh, and that'll do for today's podcast. If you're heading up to Molyneux on Saturday, see you there fingers crossed Fulham can get a result. I think there's still some tickets. It'd be amazing if we could get a really good atmosphere like we did um, at Liverpool um, for our first away day of the season. This definitely feels like one where a bit of backing for the lads could uh, go an awful long way. So if you're on the fence about going, um, definitely uh, try and go uh, if you can. But obviously it's a nice warm weekend. You might have other plans. Um, And uh, yeah, if not, um, then I'm sure you'll be uh, backing the lads uh, from home wherever you're watching. Um, We just need to name the podcast. Um as ever we're going to the Fulhamish community um for our podcast names on the Thursday club these this week. There's some corkers here, Jack and Peter, so I'm going to read some out and you guys can uh, pick between you what they think is best. Um first one from Harry which was pitch was dry. Uh, obviously uh, after Jurgen Klopp's uh, comments. <laughs> um Timothy Higgins with another winger clipped. Nice. Mm. Nice. nice,
0: very clever.
2: Uh, Matthew Morris wings Deopping out, nice. Okay. Um, Avas with it's another injury. Our very farrell monk with behind closed sores. Oh,
3: Ooh, yeah, good stuff. That's good. Uh,
2: I think they are the best three. Oh, Nev said is a kind of Fulham uh, as well. Um, what, what would you, what are you thinking here?
0: Behind swords saws is good. Yeah, He's very, very good. good. Um, another winger clipped is good as well.
2: Yeah, I thought wings dropping out as well was, uh, was, was quite good. What, what's, what's the unanimous decision here?
0: Uh, I don't think there is one. That's, that's the, the key thing where we three of us say three different things. All right, Jack, um, what's your decision? I'm going to go another winger clipped. That's clever.
3: Peter? I was going to say the same as Jack. Another winger clipped, yeah. Well,
2: there we go. There's a unanimous decision. So it is Timothy Higgins. Thank you for your names and uh, get on the Fulhamish community if you want to suggest names for the Thursday club. Uh, A nice, enjoyable, uh, added element to this season. Uh, This will catch on hasn't gone anywhere, by the way. We're just waiting for a few more submissions. It's been a bit quiet in the inbox. If you uh, have any good ones, particularly for some of the new players, Polinius, well, I would say Solomon, but not much point. um, uh, Diop uh please do send them in hello at fulhamish.co.uk we're taking a few weeks off it um and uh, get them in before fulham start losing games when it suddenly won't be so fun um so still accepting submissions for this will catch on though for future episodes uh thank you very much to my guest today jack collins thank you thank you very much sammy and peter Rutsler. thank you
3: no thank you sammy always a pleasure
2: And we will see you at Wolves on Saturday. Let's hope we can get that first W of the season. Wouldn't that be absolutely glorious? But until then, enjoy the sunshine. When you wait. You wait.